Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and um, let me pray for us while you turn there. Father, I pray that you would help us make the most of this whole day, Uh, really that you would make the most of this whole day, Father, that uh, we would be here with a heart attitude of gladness, of uh, submission, of, of learning, of leaning in really to you and to one another, and that your spirit would really be the one leading this meeting, guiding us, speaking through all the different people that will be up front. And it would be a time of encouragement, um, motivation, empowering uh, for us to do the work of the Lord that you've assigned to us. And so empower us, strengthen us, motivate us, encourage us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians, y'all are familiar. It's this long letter that Paul writes to a church that had a bunch of problems Chapter 15, he's going to kind of address the last big problem, is that they really doubted, uh, had Christ really risen from the dead, and uh, are we going to really rise from the dead? Is this more of a spiritual, ethereal thing? Don't worry, we're not going to get super in the weeds on um, eschatology or anything like that. But I want to read just the beginning of this uh, chapter 15. We're really going to focus on just one verse at the end, but I think Paul wrestled with something very similar that we all wrestle with. Okay, so notice this. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, right? That's not a very uh, assuring word. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And we won't take time to do it right now, but you could do it on your own if you wanted to. There's, there's five or six different times in five or six different of Paul's letters where he says something to the effect of, I'm, I'm concerned that maybe I labored with you in vain because now you seem to be maybe abandoning the gospel. Uh, And so I think a lot of times we struggle with, I was out here cultivating this supporter and it seemed like it was going so great and now they've ghosted me. And, you know, they're not even of the generation that's supposed to ghost people. But they they won't call me back. And, you know, all that time and energy I put into raising this money, it just seems gone or on the campus. And I thought I'd led this guy to Christ and he seemed to be growing. And then he's totally abandoned the faith or some project that I was working on that I really thought was going to serve the ministries. And I put all this time and all this energy and had the spreadsheet just right. And then everybody's like, yeah, we don't like it. We're not going to use it. And it, just, it just feels vain. And part of it is encouraging to me that Paul struggled with that. The greatest Christian of all time, the most fruitful Christian of all time, he struggled with often feeling like the stuff I'm doing is, feels like it's empty. It's worthless at times. Okay, so... Um, Let's just read the first few verses here. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He also appeared to me, for I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is 
with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Now, he's saying the one thing that really could make all our labor in vain is if the gospel is not true. So flip over to the very last verse because this is really what we're going to focus on. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So uh, he says, he basically, everything we skipped is he's kind of making this massive case and argument. Christ really was physically raised from the dead. If you trust in Christ, you'll be physically raised from the dead. And then he kind of gets to the end and says, in light of that, you should be steadfast, which literally means like sedentary, like seated, not moved, immovable. And, and the whole idea is in, in your doctrinal thoughts. There's a lot of stuff that we can argue and debate about, you know, in a loving, gentle, friendly Presbyterian versus Baptist type way or whatever. But, but there's a handful of kind of core doctrines that he lists out there at the very beginning, gospel-centered stuff. That he says, you can't doubt, you can't waver, you can't be varying. You, you have to be steadfast and immovable no matter what the culture says about these doctrines. And if you're that way, it will, it will lead to steadfastness in your ministry. Um, I'm probably going to have a couple of movie quotes here that maybe nobody else will remember, but how many, just out of curiosity, how many people have seen the 1986 movie with Charlie Sheen, uh, Platoon? It's a Vietnam movie, okay? There, there was one scene at the end where it's kind of this big battle scene, and Charlie Sheen is this young guy in Vietnam, and it's, you know, it's chaos, and people are being overrun, and it's kind of like all the Americans are fleeing and running away, and he's in a foxhole with another guy, and the guy next to him turns and says, you want to run too? I mean, literally at one point I remember there's this scene where an American soldier kind of runs and jumps in the foxhole with him and then jumps out and just keeps running. And, uh, and Charlie Sheen just says, no, I'm going to stay. And, and, and part of what I loved about that, there was no kind of bravado like Rambo getting out and I'm going to go carry the whole battle by myself. There was just this sense of faithful humility of I'm just going to stay at my post. And, and that's the sense I get here for us is if I really do believe... Christ has been raised. I'm going to be raised. I don't have to go be Rambo for Jesus. Uh, I just need to be faithful and movable. I'm just going to stay at my post and do my part, even when it seems small, even when it seems vain, because it's not vain. Okay? And what should that lead to? It should lead to always abounding in the work of the Lord. And, and that word is a word Paul uses a lot, but it means like excel, overflow. Okay? Uh, when they fed the 5,000 and afterwards there was like a lot of bread left over, it's that idea. Abounding. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, let's just be honest. If you take that literally, that sounds pretty intimidating, does it not? What about on the days when I'm tired? You know? What about on the days where I really abounded yesterday and I feel like I need a day off today from abounding? Okay? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I just want to say this. Uh, I think probably in the first 20, 30, maybe even 35 years of campus outreach, probably most of the people in the ministry of campus outreach, in the office, on the field, and everywhere, probably, when in doubt, tended towards being too much of a workaholic, right? I think we can probably mostly agree with that. But there's a, there's a lot going on in our culture, outside of the church, in the sh- church, about personal health, right? Personal health days. you got to have all the right boundaries and rest and all that. And I just want to remind us, like with most truths in the Christian life, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And you can be a workaholic for Jesus, and that's bad. And you shouldn't do that, okay? 
if you're doing that, stop it, right? But, 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 if, but if, if you, there's also, you can be a restaholic for Jesus. And, and I think in, in recent years, this has become more of the temptation of the day for, for many of us. And some of that's about your personality and your background. But I just say, and, and I think, I think you all know this, but it's a helpful reminder for all of us. Because sometimes we see all the damage, all the arrogance, all the legalism, all the burnout. And our desire to not be that, we almost intentionally drive into this ditch over here of being a restaholic and leading other people. Oh, one day Sabbath's not enough. You've got to have two full days off or you don't really believe the gospel. I mean, I've heard people almost say something that insane. But do you realize this? If you kind of start perpetuating this error, no matter how unintentionally you do it, you know what you're setting up the next generation to do? Just to flee back to the other extreme. You're actually perpetuating in the third generation the very thing you hated in the first generation. So the best thing that we can all do is, by God's grace, do our best to hit a biblical balance. And none of us are going to do it perfectly, right? Who wants to say, I'm, I'm the perfect balance. Just come hang out with me for a week and you'll learn all it. Not right. But in humility, it's like I'm not trying to be a drunk driver for Jesus, swerving back and forth between the ditches. I'm trying to land in the middle. Now, I'm going to read John MacArthur quote, and I know he's not as popular today, all right, among all the rest of Holics, okay? But I think, he really, uh, I think he really speaks wisely about this passage, okay? So maybe I shouldn't have said who the quote was by and just read it, all right? But reasonable rest is necessary. But if we err, Paul is saying it should be on the side of doing more work for the Lord. And I'll just pause. I did a study on... Paul's thoughts about working hard in ministry last year, and not that MacArthur needs my backup, but I would agree. When in doubt, if you're going to err, err on the side of working a little too hard for Jesus. We have this great retirement plan called heaven coming. We'll catch up on rest then. In proper proportion, recreation and diversions can help restore our energy and increase our effectiveness. So, of course, it's right to play golf and do all that kind of stuff sometimes. Amen. Got it. Amen. <laughs> but they also can easily become ends in themselves, demanding more and more of our attention, concern, time, and energy. More than one believer has relaxed and hobbied himself completely out of the work of the Lord. And one, another commentator said, Faith in the resurrection produces a consciousness of boundless and endless power for work. So I'm steadfast in my doctrinal belief and the gospel and the resurrection and my coming resurrection and it should lead to boundless energy for work seemingly now know thyself right know your limits know your personality know your gifts and your strengths and your weaknesses and have the boundaries and the sabbath rhythms on. I'm, I'm all for that more importantly God's all for that okay. just by God's grace seek to avoid both ditches why? Okay. because the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of his people is true. I mean, Paul, this is interesting. The chapter started with Paul saying, I'm worried that maybe I preached in vain. And then by the end of the chapter, he says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And Gordon Fee, about this passage, it was great. He said, it's almost like Paul's long chapter, he argued himself out of his own doubts. He kind of started with, listen, and that's what good Bible reading, meditation is supposed to be about is arguing ourselves by God's grace out of the doubt, okay? So, um, 
how do those two things practically go together? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, multiple times says, I'm really concerned to different churches that maybe all my work there was in vain. But then he says, ah, we know our work's not in vain. Here's my best understanding. In the short run, with very specific people and very specific tasks and very specific projects, it very well might be in vain what we're doing, right? I mean, I have oftentimes said to myself and some of our staff who are really struggling because they did just have their key disciple or whatever fall away from the faith, hey, even Jesus had Judas. You probably did do something wrong with that disciple, right? Knowing you, knowing me, right? But even if you had done everything perfect, no guarantee they're all going to make it because even Jesus had Judas. So in the short run, there are projects and things we're going to give our heart, mind, soul, and strength to and think we're doing our best, and it's just going to go kaput. And when that happens, we don't need to be shocked because we are in a very real spiritual battle with a very real spiritual enemy who hates us. And I guarantee you, he ain't a restaholic. Okay. Um, Bob Smart, some of y'all know him. I, I just heard him say uh, kind of a quote when he said, most of us vastly underestimate what we can do in the short run. That's true. That's pride. And that's what leads to a lot of our frustration, I think, is we have these great goals, right? Our six-month plan is a, is a joke plan oftentimes because there's no chance. And it leads to some of the frustration. But he also said, we vastly underestimate what God can and will do in the long run. So, so make your plans. Hold them loosely. Don't hope in your own efforts, but do hope greatly in if the Lord builds the house, it's going to end up being a great house. John Calvin, who is there that would not be despondent or turn aside from the way, were it not that by thinking of a better life, he is by this means kept in the fear of God? If the hope of a resurrection is taken away, then the foundation, as it were, being rooted up in the whole structure of piety falls to the ground. If the hope of reward is taken away and extinguished, then a brisk, ready cheerfulness in running will not merely grow cold, but it will altogether be destroyed. I mean, I don't know about you, that's the way I want to work, right? A brisk, ready cheerfulness in the work of the Lord. And John Calvin says, it it can't just be what Jesus did for me in the past. It's also got to be a faith in what Jesus is going to do for me in the future. A resurrected body, eternity, lots of rewards. And you think about that, and you remind yourself, and and it makes you motivated. So one last thought. Flip over to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And, you know, why is this? I don't, I don't think I've said anything super new or insightful today, but why does this seem to be hard for us to understand and apply sometimes in our lives? And, and I think the reason is because um, there seems to be so much evidence towards our five senses that says vain, vain, vain. Right? When we get the no on the phone or somebody just doesn't even answer the phone, Right? Or the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we experience. So um, I'm going to tell a little story of my wife, which some of you don't know her, and she's okay with me sharing these stories, okay? So if you're like, I can't believe you're sharing that, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love you. She might be at dinner tonight. You can ask her. She's found me sharing this. Uh, my wife grew up in a very non-Christian, poor, single-parent home, deadbeat dad who rarely paid the child support. So she oftentimes had memories of coming home latchkey kid and like the lights being out 
because like the utility bill hadn't been paid. That's the kind of life she grew up. Okay? I like to sometimes joke in the right circles, I married the poorest girl from Sanford ever. Okay? Now here's the thing. Um, we're not filthy rich, I don't think, by Birmingham, Alabama standards. But we never had the lights turned out. And so my wife, listen, I promise you this, I got much more sin in my life than my wife does. Okay, If it's a comparison of who's the bigger sinner, I win. But my wife can tend to struggle every once in a while, hypothetically a little bit, with worrying about money. And some of it is about her background. And I'm trying to say, hey, babe, I love you. I, I, I'd love you to come out of that scarcity mentality because for the last half of your life, we never had the lights turned out. When are you going to start living in light of that? That's the new norm for you. Now, uber practically, why is that so easy for me to never worry about the lights being turned out? Because I had a good daddy who was a hard worker and a provider, and we were upper middle class, and we basically had everything we wanted, and it never crossed my mind that the lights could be turned out. No. I really had a great daddy, but not a perfect daddy. But all of us, if we're in Christ, we do have the perfect father who loves to give great gifts to his kids. And he didn't call any of us on this journey to screw us over in the long run. He called us on this journey to ultimately bless our socks off. Although we may not experience as much of it in this planet as we'd like to, might have to wait to the next life, it is coming. And it's just as sure as it can be. Look at what the author of Hebrews says, chapter 6, starting verse 10. For God is not so unjust. I love that. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. That's what you guys do. You serve the saints. And it would be unjust of God to overlook your work, even as imperfect as it may be. God's so just and loving. He's going to reward that. Verse 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, so maybe one last war movie and then we'll wrap it up okay this is a, a lesser known war movie anybody ever seen the, the movie uh, Bat 21 I'm look really hard for this one okay Dimps and Tina how about that I was giving out awards I would give out awards okay I think it's actually based on a true story okay although the scene I'm about to refer to I don't think was true but during the Vietnam War a high-ranking U.S. military officer is shot down in a plane, and he has a lot of intelligence in his mind that the enemy would like to get. So the, the communists are hunting him, and the Americans are desperately trying to get him out. And there's this one scene where a helicopter pilot is trying to rescue him, gets shot down, and the helicopter pilot it knows that he is about to be executed, I mean, tortured and executed. And that's not a good way to go out, right? But he happens right before... The torture begins. He looks over into the woods and he sees the man that they were trying to rescue and he realizes he's still alive. And he smiles. And I love it because there's a sense of, I'm about to suffer really bad and I'm about to die. And yet, the mission continues. And there was a sense of real joy on his face. 
And guys, I think that's the way that Christians should live every day, even when all the evidence to my face is saying, you're going to suffer. Your life is going to be hard. You're going to die before you see the end of this thing. It's kind of like, that's fine. Because the end is still going to finally come, and my team wins. <laughs> Why? Because my captain has already won for me. Right? Why is this so hard for us, guys? Because we're put in situations where it all looks bleak, and basically what God, through the Bible, says is, just keep walking ahead like everything's wonderful. You're like, everything's not wonderful. I feel like I'm walking into a literal minefield. And that's just a dim reflection of what we're called to do of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on our behalf. He didn't walk smiling to the cross because he knew how bad the wrath would be for us. But he did go for the joy set before him. And he was literally steadfast, immovable, there for us. And that ought to just inspire us with such confidence, such hope, that no matter what we're called to do in the hardship of life, we can say, I press on. Because I really am confident one day it is all going to be worth it in heaven with Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Make these more than words that we just academically believe. Please make them into uh, truths that we live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen. And to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.